usado del fono almohadilla 6. Ponosa prognotacio. Porte du fono croisillon 6. Getragen vom fono raute 6. Indossato del fono cancelletto 6. Pasha fono nume tecken 6. That's right, you heard right. Warn of the phono, number six. And starting this one off, as promised to no one, really, the steeliest-eyed of the spanners, Tim Hart and Maddie Pryor from their summer solstice record, I Live Not Where I Love. Long-distance relationships can be tough.
Back to simpler times, much like Richard and Linda Thompson, Zappa and Beefheart working together, and a band firing on all cylinders. Check it, check it out. No more credit from the liquor store. Shoot is all dirty, my shoes is all worn. Took me for a sucker boy George's watch like they always do. Can a shame on you? I told you. I know you told me. It didn't me. listen to me. But I couldn't listen to told you. Told you about the anchovies. George, do the way you do me, boy.
potato head Bobby was a friend of mine Open three of his eyes in the food stamp line Open four of his eyes in the food stamp line Open five of his eyes in the food stamp line Open six of his eyes in the food stamp line Oh, you know, you might be a devil Drop on by Told her all they wanna do Is step up and say hi <laughs> Half an hour later She had frenched his fry The woman had Polynesian wallpaper made the face stand out, a mixture of oriental and early vaudeville jazz poofter, forming a hard beetle-like triangular chin, much like a praying mantis, smoky razor cut low on the ear neck profile, the face the color of a nicotine stained hand, dark circles collected under the wrinkled folded eyes, map-like from too much turquoise eye paint. He showed his old tongue through ill-fitting wooden teeth, stained from too much opium chipped from the years. The feet brown wrinkles above straw loafers, a piece of coconut and a pink seashell caught the tongue and knotted into thin white strings. Charcoal gray Eisenhower jacket zipped into a load of green ascot. A coil of ashes collected on the white on yellow dax. Four slender bones with rings and nails endured the weight of a hard, fast, black rubber cigarette holder. I could just make out Ace as he carried the tray in mouth, you cheap son of a bitch. As a straw fell out of a coke and cartwheeled into the gutter. So this was a drive-in restaurant in Hollywood. So this was a drive-in restaurant in Hollywood. So this was a drive-in Pony. Some sick beats. And disco treats. 
The Three Electro Knights by Stanislaw Lem. Once there lived a certain great inventor constructor who, never flagging, thought up unusual devices and fashioned the most amazing mechanisms. He built himself a digital midget widget that sweetly sang, and he named it a bird. A bold heart served as his symbol, and every atom that passed through his hands bore that mark, so that afterwards scientists did marvel to find in among the atomic spectra flickering valentines. He made many useful machines, both large and small, until the whimsical notion came to him to unite life and death in one, and thereby accomplish the impossible. He decided to construct intelligent beings out of water. Oh, but not in that monstrous way which probably first occurred to you. No. The thought of bodies soft and wet was foreign to him. He abhorred it as do we all. His intention was to construct from water beings truly beautiful and wise, therefore crystalline. He selected a planet far removed from any sun, cut mountains of ice from its frozen ocean, and out of those carved the cryonids. They bore this name, for only in the intense cold could they exist, and in the sunless void. Before very long, they had built themselves cities and palaces of ice, and as any heat, whatever, threatened them with extinction, they trapped polar lights in large transparent vessels, and with these illumined their dwellings. He who among them was more important, the more polar lights he had, lemon yellow and silver. And they all lived happily, and loving not only light but precious stones, they grew famous for their gems. The gems cut and ground from frozen gases added color to their eternal night, in which burned like imprisoned spirits the thin polar lights, resembling enchanted nebulae in blocks of crystal. More than one cosmic conqueror wished to possess these riches, for all Cryonia was visible at the greatest distance, its facets twinkling like a jewel rotated slowly on black velvet. And so adventurers came to Cryonia to try their hand in battle. The first to arrive was the Electronite Brass, whose step was as a big bell tolling. But no sooner had he set foot upon the sheets of ice than they melted from the heat, and down he plunged into the icy deep, and the waters closed over him. Like an insect in amber he remains, to this very day, encased in a mountain of ice at the bottom of the Cryonian Sea. The fate of Brass did not deter other daredevils. After him came the Electronite Iron, who had drunk liquid helium until his steel innards gurgled and the frost that formed upon his armor gave him the appearance of a snow giant. But in swooping to the surface of the planet, he heated up from the atmospheric friction. The liquid helium evaporated out of him with a whistle, and he himself, glowing red, landed on some crags of ice which opened instantly. He pulled himself out, belching steam similar to a boiling geyser, 
but everything he touched became a white cloud from which snow fell. So he sat and waited for himself to cool. And when the little stars of snow no longer melted on his shoulder plates, he sought to rise and go out into battle. But the oil had congealed in his joints, and he couldn't even straighten his back. He sits there still, and the falling snow has made of him a white mountain from which only the tip of his helmet protrudes. They call it Iron Mountain, and in its eye sockets gleams a frozen stare. News of the fate of his predecessors reached the third Electro Knight, Quartz, who in the day appeared as a polished lens, and at night as a mirror filled with stars. He did not fear that the oil in his limbs would congeal, for he hadn't any, nor that the ice flows would crack beneath his feet, for he could become as cold as he liked. There was one thing only he had to avoid, and this was prolonged thought, for it made his quartz brain grow warm, and that could destroy him. But he resolved to protect himself and gain victory over the cryonids by the simple expedient of not thinking. He flew to the planet and was so chilled by his long voyage through the eternal galactic night that the iron meteors that grazed his breast in flight shattered into shivers with a tinkling sound. He sat down on the white snows of Cryonia, beneath its black sky like a jug of stars, and, resembling a transparent glass, began to ponder his next move. But the snow around him was already darkening and starting to steam. Uh-oh, Quartz said to himself. Not good. That's all right. Just don't think, and it's in the bag. He resolved to repeat this single phrase no matter what happened, for it required no mental effort and therefore would not heat him up at all. So Quartz proceeded through the snowy wild thoughtlessly and at random in order to preserve his coolness. He walked thus till finally he came to the ice walls of the capital of the Cryonids, Frigida. He charged and struck the battlements with his head until the sparks flew, but that accomplished nothing. Let's try it differently, he said to himself, and considered how much two times two would be. Reflecting upon this, his head became a trifle warmer, so he rammed the glittering walls a second time, but made only a small dent. Not enough, he said to himself. Let's try something harder. How much is three times five? Now his head was surrounded by a sizzling cloud, for in contact with such intense mentation, the snow instantly boiled. So Quartz stepped back, gathered up speed, struck, and went straight through the wall, and through two palaces behind it, plus three houses of the lesser Counts of Whore, fell upon a great staircase, clutched the stalactite banister, but the steps were like a skating rink. He jumped up quickly, for now everything about him was melting, and in this way he could go tumbling down through the entire city, down into the ice abyss, where he would be forever frozen. That's all right, just don't think. It's in the bag, he told himself, and sure enough, he cooled off at once. So he went out of the tunnel of ice, which he had melted, and found himself in a great square, lit up on every side by polar lights that winked in emerald and silver on their crystal pillars. Then, 
towards him issued forth, sparkling and starry, an enormous knight, the commander of the Cryonids, Boreal. Quartz pulled himself together and leaped to the attack, and the other closed with him, and there was a crash, as when two icebergs in the middle of the northern sea collide. The gleaming right arm of Boreal fell away, sheared off at the socket, but nothing daunted, he turned so that his chest, broad as a glacier, which in point of fact it was, faced the enemy. The enemy, meanwhile, gathered up momentum and once again rammed him savagely. And since quartz is harder and more dense than ice, Boreal split with a roar like an avalanche moving down a rocky slope, and he lay all shattered in the glow of the polar lights that witnessed his defeat. In the bag, just keep it up, said Quartz, and tore from the fallen warrior jewels of wondrous beauty, rings set with hydrogen, clasps and medallions that shone like diamonds, though cut from the trio of noble gases, argon, krypton, and xenon. When, however, he admired them, the warmth of that emotion warmed him. Consequently, the diamonds and sapphires evaporated with a hiss beneath his touch, so that he held nothing, save a few droplets of dew, which also quickly vanished. Uh-oh, can't admire either. No matter, just don't think, he said to himself, and forged on into the heart of the conquered city. In the distance, he saw a mighty figure approaching. This was Albusid, the white general mineral, whose massive breast was crisscrossed with rows of icicle metals, and the great star of rhyme upon a glacial ribbon. That keeper of the royal treasures barred the way to Quartz, who bore down on him like a storm and smote him in a thunderclap of ice. Then Prince Astrobert, Lord of the Black Hail, came to the aid of Albusid. This time the Electro Knight had met his match, for the Prince had on his costly nitrogen armor, tempered in helium. So fierce was the cold that he gave off it robbed Quartz of his impetus, weakened his movements, and even the polar lights grew pale. Such was the breath of absolute zero that spread about. Quartz pulled up and thought, Yipes! What's going on? And from the great astonishment his brain heated. The absolute zero grew summary, and before his eyes Astrobert himself began to break up into chunks, with thunder accompanying the death throes till only a heap of black ice, dripping drops like tears, remained in a puddle on the battlefield. In the bag, said Quartz to himself, just don't think. But if you have to think, then think. Either way, you win. And he pressed on, and his steps rang as though someone were hammering at crystals. And as he pounded through the streets of Frigida, its inhabitants peered out at him from under the white eaves, despair in their hearts. He was hurtling along like a mad meteor across the Milky Way, when in the distance he noticed a small and solitary figure. This was none other than Baryon, known as the Burr, the greatest sage among the Cryonids. Quartz built up speed, intending to crush him in a single blow, but the other stepped out of the way and raised two fingers. Quartz had no idea what this might mean but he turned and went full tilt at his opponent. Yet once again, at the last moment, Berrien, 
stepped aside and quickly raised one finger. Kortz was somewhat surprised at this and slowed his pace, though he had already turned around and was about to charge. He wondered, and water began to pour from the neighboring homes, but he did not see this. For now, Berrien was showing him a circle with his fingers and swiftly moving the thumb of the other hand back and forth through it. Kortz thought and thought of what those silent gestures were supposed to represent, while a chasm opened up beneath his feet. Black water gushed forth, and he sank like a stone. And before he had time to say, That's all right, just don't think, he was no more among the living. Later, the Cryonids, grateful to Berrien for their deliverance, asked him what it was he had intended to convey through the signs he made to the terrible rogue Electro Knight. It's quite simple, really, replied the sage. Two fingers meant that there were two of us, he and I together. One finger that soon only I would be left. Then I showed him the circle, indicating that the ice was opening around him and the ocean's black abyss would swallow him forever. He failed to understand the first, and likewise the second and the third. Oh, great wise one, exclaimed the astonished Cryonix. How could you have given such signs to the dread invader? Think what would have happened had he comprehended and disdained surprise. Surely then his mind would not have heeded, nor would he have plunged into the bottomless abyss. Pooh, I have no fear of that, said Barry on the burr with an icy smile. I knew all along he would not understand. If he'd had a grain of sense to begin with, he never would have come here. For what use to a being that lives beneath the sun are jewels of gas and silver stars of ice. And they, in turn, marveled at the wisdom of the sage, and so departed, satisfied, each to the comforting chill of his own hearth. After this, no one ever again attempted to invade Cryonia, the entire universe not having any more such fools, though some say there are plenty still. They merely do not know the way. Praise Jah, some promised land sounds from Ras Michael and the sons and daughters of Nietzsche. <laughs>
about the things that we should have done before. The way things are going, the end is about to fall. We took it on ten years ago. We took it on ten years ago. We took it on ten years ago. Look around and see. Already weeds are writing their scriptures in the sand Just calling, take heed of the warning
This is one we were all requesting not so long ago. I really only like Eric Clapton when he works with other people. Stephen Stills, this is a good track.
back home again with Norman Greenbaum. California could fly higher than the birds.
saying super trap but check out this first album some soft machine sounds taking you to the land of prague before they had breakfast in america
seen and prove how such a love can happen.